Well, church, I invite you to open up your Bible with me to Acts chapter 5. Uh, before we uh, get into the text, you can find the passage and hold on to it. Uh, we want to give you a brief update on behalf of uh, the elders. Uh, a lot of uh, people have been asking um, if our church has um, put any measures or has any response uh, to give, uh, it, given the current context of the public health circumstances that our world and our region is experiencing uh, with the spread of what's co being called COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus. And we wanted to give you a brief update on that today um, to give you a reassurance about your uh, safety and participation uh, at church. So we wanted to let you know that there are um, measures of prevention that we have put in place uh, with the goal of trying to, as best as we can, limit hand-to-hand um, -hand contact to be able to prevent any transmission uh, here. So measures that we're taking are um, rec based on recommendations that are being given by York Region Public Health. Uh, at presently, we're monitoring the ongoing circumstances that York Region Public Health and Canadian Public Health is given. And York Region Public Health says on their website uh, right now, uh, there is no evidence of community spread within York Region of the coronavirus and the risk to York Region residents of acquiring the virus in the community remains low. So the measures that they tell uh, people to put in place are standard measures of prevention that would help in a normal a seasonal respiratory uh, viruses uh, or illnesses like common cold or the flu. So a couple practical uh, measures that we've put in place to avoid unnecessary hand-to-hand -hand contact. These are non-intrusive, uh, they these will be temporary, but um, as Mihir mentioned, we're going to be taking offering different. We won't be passing plates at all uh, during the row in, through the rows during the services. So communion, like we take today, will always be self-serve. You can come up and take it on your own. You'll see that we've also spaced the cups apart to limp so that you can take your own and limit touching of others. Um, offering will be collected at the end of the service. At the end of the service, there will be ushers posted at each of the doors holding um, the offering plates, and you can uh, deposit your cash or envelope or check there. Obviously, this doesn't affect you if you give through PayPal or through mobile giving, and if you want to learn how you can do that, you can speak with Pastor George or look into your bulletins as well. Um, second, um, I love that you love to greet one another, uh, but for a temporary season, we're not going to overtly encourage uh, handshaking, all right? You can greet each other, thumbs up, but uh, we're not going to overtly encourage that. Uh, and third, this isn't new, but just as reassurance, in our Hope Kids ministry, every week, regardless of the time of the year, regardless of what's happening, we always, after all of our services, disinfect all surfaces and all toys. We would ask parents to um, remind themselves and refresh themselves of the um, illness uh, guidelines for their kids. Uh, so there's a policy written on the doors on the way in. Just refresh yourself, parents, to know what the symptoms of your kids are and whether or not it's appropriate for you to submit them into kids based on their symptoms. Uh, we've been asked about whether or not we'll provide an additional hand sanitizer. Right now, public health recommends that uh, hand washing is the preferred method for cleansing uh, over um, hand sanitizer. So what we've done for your benefit uh, is we've printed off this info sheet from York Region Public Health. There are uh, lots of these copies available at the Info Center that you can get for yourself 
uh, and for your family, especially because March break is coming up soon and some traveling might be happening. It's just good to acquaint yourself what, what you can do to do standard measures of prevention. So we just want to offer you some reassurance about what we're doing and also just a, just a word of encouragement as well. Like people are talking about this everywhere. Pretty much, right? It's usually the water cooler thing that are people are speaking about. And a lot of people are, are very afraid. A lot of people are very anxious. But I would encourage you, church, no matter what time of the year it is, no matter what's happening throughout the world, Christians always have a reason for peace and for hope, even though it might seem we have a reason for anxiety and despair. And you are the light of the world. So I would encourage you, church, Shine that light, whether it's in your conversation or with your life. Show the world that we do have a reason for hope and for peace, even if the circumstance may say we should be fearful or anxious. So before we get into God's word, uh, let me take a moment and now pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the good grace that you have shown towards us, Lord. Uh, we are so grateful for your love and for your kindness. God, I'm glad that we have your Holy Spirit and that we have your scriptures. Father, I ask that your spirit would give us understanding through your word today, that we might be not just hearers of the word who listen and then leave unchanged, but that we would be doers of the word, that our faith in God's grace would transform our lives to live in a way that reflects the life of Jesus. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have something that is worth sharing to the world around us. Uh, the gospel message that we are called to share and that we've seen being shared in the book of Acts, the gospel message is the power of God that changes lives and that saves lives. But my experience and my own observation has shown me that often fear can choke out our ability to be able to share the gospel. True Christians, true Christians who love Jesus, can see the circumstances coming upon them like a wave of fear. I heard a pastor one time talking about this text describe the persecution the, that the, they were facing from the world like, like waves in a water coming upon them, tidal waves in a water coming upon them. And if a wave is coming... You can do one of two things. You can uh, sink down, swim away, and wish that the weight of the wave doesn't crush you if you've gotten far enough. Or you can rise up and ride the wave. And that's what the apostles do here. Three circumstances come up where it would seem that the reasonable response would be be afraid and run away, but they don't. They rise up, they ride the wave, and they share the gospel without fear. What we're going to see is that in these three instances where they could be afraid, God himself intervenes and shows in three times that he is with them and they don't need to be afraid. And as he's with them, so he's with us. God is with you, Christian. God is with us. And we can share the gospel without fear. 
Today we're going to see the three waves, ways that God proved that he was with them when the waves of fear could have crushed them. We're going to see how powerful the gospel is, and I believe that God's going to give us the courage and the confidence to be able to share it without fear. So as we do, would you stand together with me to honor God as we read a portion of this scripture together? We're going to read Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. You can take your seats, church. Three ways that God proved that he was with them so that they could share the gospel without fear. The first way was how God, through an angel, liberated them from prison. They were put in prison for preaching the gospel. Then an angel delivered them out of the prison to go and preach the gospel. Their liberation from prison proved that God was with them. And as with them, so God is with us. And whether it's prison or persecution, his gospel is unrestrainable. And you can share the gospel without fear. The gospel is unrestrainable. Persecution, neither persecution nor prison can hold it back. Even the Apostle Paul himself, when he was in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, with his hands bound, said, the word of God is not bound. This was the second time that the apostles were put into prison. The first time they were put into prison because the Sadducees, the religious elites of the day, were greatly annoyed because they were teaching in the name of Jesus in a way that could threaten their authority. This time they arrested them because, look at the motivation at the end of verse 17. Can you see it there with me, the last three words of verse 17? They were filled with jealousy. First, they were greatly annoyed because the message was, could have threatened their authority. And now they were filled with jealousy because it did threaten their authority. The people who they wanted to follow them had now left and were following the leaders of the grassroots church movement and following the authority of Jesus. So they arrested them, but God sent an angel to liberate them. Their liberation from prison proved that God was with them even though others were against them. And so they did what the angel said. They went, they stood, they spoke all the words of life without fear. Words of life is a really good term to describe the message that we believe. Because Jesus is the author of life. And he liberates us from the pains of death. This liberation proved that God was with them. And as with them, God is with us. His gospel is unrestrainable. And you can share it without fear. So I would ask you, brothers and sisters, are you sharing the gospel without fear? Do you? There are certain ways in which we may feel like our culture around us is restraining the gospel. But my experience and my observation has been that in our context, 
Christians themselves restrain the message of the gospel more than the culture does. In a culture like ours, we are afraid that we're going to be called offensive. We're afraid that we're going to be called bigoted. We're afraid that we're going to be called hateful and intolerant. In our culture, our standard of right and the standard of the culture's right and wrong is very different from the Bible's standard of right and wrong. Our culture's standard from right and wrong is really defined by two things. Number one, choice. As long as you have the freedom to do what you do, what you're doing is right and not wrong, unless you're like hurting someone. Don't do that. And the other end, tolerance. We have the choice to do what we want to do, and everyone must accept others the way they are. But Christians know that the standard of right and wrong, good and bad, behavior that God honors is different. See, we look at right and wrong not based on choice and tolerance. We look at right and wrong based on God's character and God's word. But it's not surprising then when we call behavior that people say is their own free choice um, sin. Like like that little fib that you told the insurance company isn't just a little fib, it's lying to God. Like that little bit of flirting at the office isn't just a little bit of flirting at the office, it's actually adultery in your heart. It's not surprising that we're not, we're treated like hateful people. We have a different standard. And we have a different understanding of why bro- the world is broken like it is. The world's a mess. And our culture would say the world is a mess because either we're not educated enough to make the choices that we want or we don't have the opportunities that we need to make the choices that we want. Or it's a mess because when we make the choices that we want, there are intolerant people who shame us for the choices we want to make. Christians look at it from a different perspective. Christianity teaches that the world's a mess and we're suffering the pains of death because for the sake of choice, we have turned from the author of life. And by turning from the author of life, we have chosen to suffer under the pains of death. This is the essence of sin. For the sake of choice, uh, we're in bondage and enslaved to all of the pains and all of the atrocities that we commit against ourselves. We're suffering the pains of despair and anxiety and loneliness and meaninglessness and, and narcissism and, and addiction and anger and emptiness and death. We can be liberated. Christianity teaches that there is a way out of death and into life through the one who suffered death on our behalf and was raised to life. See, we want, we want our choice. But Jesus is the one, only one who ever lived a life that deserved to be honored. Jesus lived a life that deserved to receive a crown of gold. 
Jesus lived a life that deserved to be carried through uh, the streets on a throne as king. But Jesus gave up his rights. He didn't receive a crown of gold. He willingly took a crown of thorns. He didn't get a throne paraded through the streets. He bore a cross and carried it through the streets to his own death. So the wages of sin is death. And Jesus suffered for our sins and tasted the bitterness of death on our behalf in our place. But death could not restrain him. In resurrection, he was liberated out of death and into perfect life. And by faith in Jesus, we are liberated from sin and united with his perfect life. So by faith in Jesus, I don't need my choice because I have life and I'm liberated out of the things that cause the pains of death in this world. I'm liberated out of despair and into hope, out of loneliness and into belonging, out of meaninglessness and into purpose, out of narcissism and into selflessness, out of addiction and into sobriety and self-control, out of anger and into love, out of emptiness and into joy, out of death and into life. But if we want to see others enjoy this life, we need to be willing to call sin death. And it's going to be offensive to some. It will be offensive to some, but it will be the power of life to others. And if you don't want to offend any, you will see the power of life come to none. And maybe you're here today and you, you, you tangibly feel the pain of your sin. You feel the pains of death and you feel in the bondage of it and under the weight of it, and you're just longing to be relieved of it, and you want liberation. And you think liberation is going to be found in choice. And choice provides you the opportunity to do many things, like driftwood floating through the ocean. But you know what I'd rather be? I'd be, want to be a boat with the sails up, with a compass in hand, with a heading in a direction. And I might not be able to go everywhere the driftwood can go, but I can reach a destination because I have a purpose, not living for myself, but living united with the one who is life. Don't restrain the gospel. Don't restrain the truth about sin, even though it's offensive. Don't restrain it. Unleash it. The gospel is unrestrainable. Their liberation from prison proved that God was with them. And as God is with them, God is with us. His gospel is unrestrainable. So share it without fear. Not only is it unrestrainable, but the gospel is also undefeatable. Perfect record. No losses. Eventually, they were arrested again by the apostles, or excuse me, by the religious elites, but um, the religious elites were kind of embarrassed because they went back to get the guys who they thought they arrested to bring them to trial, and they weren't there. <laughs> and then they hear that they're actually out in the temple doing the thing that th they were just arrested for. So now the Sadducees are a little embarrassed. 
and they want to put them on trial, but they know that the people are on the apostles' side and not on their side. And if they try and arrest them again, the people will probably fight back. So they sheepishly come and be like, hey, I know we put the cuffs on you yesterday, and you don't want to, like, be on trial as a defendant, but can you kind of, like, can we charge you? And can you... A little embarrassing. But the apostles comply and they come. And then the trial starts. And let's read what happens in verse 27. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this trial starts, and the religious elites accuse Jesus of, or excuse me, accuse the apostles of two charges. Number one, hey, you disobeyed our direct command to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they're like, yep, we did. Next. Okay. Uh, you, you're telling everyone that we're the reason Jesus died, and we don't want his blood on our hands. Man, how short of a memory they have. Because when Jesus was on trial, Pilate wanted to release him. And the Sadducees, these religious elites, were saying, no, crucify him. And then Pilate literally washed his hands and said, I'm free from this man's blood. And then these very men, these exact men, in Matthew 27, verse 25, said, his blood be on us and our children. Their own words. But now they're like, why are you making it look like we killed him? A little short-term memory loss here. And Peter comes at them hard. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. That word is very intentional. He didn't just say you killed by crucifying him. You killed by hanging him on a tree. You see, usually when a crime is deserving of capital punishment in Jewish law, the way that they would execute that capital punishment was by stoning. But they didn't stone Jesus. They wanted him hung on a tree, crucified. Because in the Jewish law, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says anyone who dies having been hung on a tree is cursed by God. They didn't want Jesus just dead. They wanted him dead dishonored you killed by hanging on him on a tree but god exalted him as at his right hand as leader and savior you tried to dishonor him through death but the father god honored him by his death and life you tried to make him look like he was cursed by god now he's at the right hand of the father exalted as leader of all Leader meaning the one who goes before us, who leads us into life, and the one who is above us, whom we all must submit to. Savior, the one who forgives us of our sin, offering us repentance, bringing us back to new life, and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You tried to dishonor him, and by your foolish attempt, the Father exalted him. 
The gospel is undefeatable. They didn't know what they were up against. They tried to dishonor him. But the resurrection proved that God was with them. And as God was with them, God is with us. His gospel is undefeatable, so you can share the gospel without fear. You know what this means for you in evangelism? It means that even if it feels like a loss by the way someone responds to you when you share the gospel, a loss isn't a loss when you play the game in Jesus' name. You might not have expected to get the silent treatment from a family member for years for telling them about Jesus. You might not have expected to lose your friends at school for telling them about Jesus. You might not have expected to get written up by your superior at work for telling a colleague about Jesus. And that might feel embarrassing. And it might make you feel like you don't want to again. But because the gospel is undefeatable, a loss isn't a loss, even if it feels embarrassing. And sometimes they do feel embarrassing. Probably the way the Leafs felt after they lost to the Hurricanes a couple weeks ago. You remember that loss? It was when this guy was in net. Right? Usually when pro hockey teams play, they've got a starting goalie and a backup goalie. Right? And if your starting goalie gets injured, you've got a backup goalie. But if your backup goalie gets injured, what do you do? And that happened to the Hurricanes when they're playing the Leafs in Toronto. They had no goalie, so they called this guy. This guy is not a professional goalie. This guy is a Zamboni driver. They hired him for $500, and he could keep his game jersey. They needed something that was a little better than a pylon against the Leafs. And they put him in that, and the Leafs still lost. That's not just a loss. That's like a double loss. That is an embarrassing loss. That's like something you want to completely forget. Sometimes if someone makes the Hall of Fame, they're still going to bring this up one day. It's embarrassing. The stat line just might show one loss, but it, in their heart, way worse than that. And that might feel like that. It's like that when people respond to you in certain ways when you share the gospel. You may feel so discouraged that you're being sincere and you're being loving and you're telling them how God's changed you and they're just indifferent or they're actually like antagonistic. But a loss isn't a loss when you play the game in Jesus' name. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the, knowledge, uh, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Triumphal procession is what the Roman army got after they won a war. Triumphal procession is what the Raptors got after they won the championship, a victory parade down in, in downtown Toronto. Triumphal procession is not what you get after you lose to a backup goalie. But when you're a follower of Jesus, a loss isn't a loss. When you play the game in Jesus' name, a loss is a victory parade, a championship parade, because the gospel is undefeatable. You can share the gospel without fear because he's with you. You can share the gospel with boldness no matter how people respond. 
I've shared a couple times now the four qualities of what I believe boldness is from the scriptures. Do you remember what they are? Speaking the gospel boldly is the ability to speak the gospel in a way that is courageous, clear, gentle, and respectful. Not our job to change lives. Our job to present the truth. And no matter how they respond, if God is for us, who can be against us? Christ has risen from the dead. It's a blessing even to be persecuted, Jesus says. The resurrection proved that God was with him. And as God was with them, God is with us. His gospel is undefeatable, so we can share it without fear. The, the liberation of prison proved that God was with them. The resurrection of Jesus proved that God was with them. And now we see in this last part of the passage that the expansion of the church was proof again that God was with them. And as with them, God is with us. The church is expanding. His gospel is unstoppable. And you can share it without fear. Let's read this last part of the passage together. Verse 33 to verse 42. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I've never got that in response myself. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Gamaliel was the guy who was the teacher of Paul, the apostle, before he was Paul and he was still Saul. Before Paul was a Christian, Paul was uh, a student of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel sees that like things are getting to a raging boil and he wants to simmer them down a bit. So this is what he says, verse 35. And he said to the men, to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to, with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So he's trying to use historical precedent of people who tried to start a revolution and then died. To kind of make the argument like, you don't need to do anything. Verse 38, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to oppose God. Essentially, he was saying, give them some slack. Give them enough rope. And in time, they'll probably just hang themselves. But they didn't know what they were up against. Now, they took his advice, verse 40, and when they had called the apostles in, they beat them. Okay, so they partially took his advice and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then how did the apostles respond? Did they get crushed under the wave or did they ride it? Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Wow. Give me that faith, God. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See, the persecution, the beatings, which was probably the, from the Jewish law, a beating of 40 lashings. That didn't even stop them. 
that didn't even silent them. It invigorated them. Because by suffering in this way, they realized that they suffered the same way Christ did. And to be associated with Christ in any way, even if it's suffering, is a worthy association. They were reinvigorated with joy. They were reinvigorated with boldness. They kept sharing the gospel to more and more places and more and more people. You see, these religious elites did not know what they were up against. The movement of the gospel had a global mandate. And it was expanding as Jesus promised it would. The beginning of this journey of the early church, the, first, the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he sent them out, before he returned to heaven, was in Acts 1.8, where he said, "All you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your hometown here, in Judea and Samaria, going to expand to the outer regions, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't say, you might make it past Jerusalem. You'll be lucky if you make it past Judea and Samaria. He said, you will be my witnesses. God has promised that this gospel would expand. The expansion of the gospel is proof that God was with them. And as God is with them, God is with us. His gospel is unstoppable. And you can share it without fear. Last week, I shared some rather discouraging stats about the church in Canada. Do you remember? I shared last week that it's projected that by 2030, a third of all religious spaces in Canada will be closed. Condos or parking lots or just abandoned. 9,000 of 27,000 gone in 10 years. And it can be discouraging looking around and seeing the church dying around us, but that does not mean that the church is dying across the world. Rather, it's the opposite. The church is expanding. There's an organization called the Center for Global Christianity and released statistics last year about global Christian populations. And its stats show that as the world population is increasing, the spreading of the gospel is expanding beyond the population growth. See, in, in the year 1900, to the year 2019, the stats they released shared that the global population has risen about 6.6 billion people. In the year 1900, 54.3% of the world had never heard the gospel. But now, in 2019, that number had dropped to 28.4% of the world. Previously, 54, over half of the world's population had never heard the gospel. Now, it's only 28.4%. As the world is growing, the gospel is still expanding beyond world population growth. And it's expanding into more and more places that you wouldn't expect. An organization called Frontier Alliance International works to share the gospel in unevangelized regions. And they say on their website, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. They say this historic, rapidly reproducing discipleship movement has brought more people to faith in Jesus in the last 20 years than the last 1,300 years. They say while many of us would instinctively pray for the Islamic regime to fall so that Christians would be free to worship publicly, 
leaders within the movement urge us not to. They attribute the growth of the gospel to the persecution of the church at the hands of the regime. One church father from ancient church history even said at one point, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We might be afraid that more waves of persecution will crush us. But church history and current church growth tells us the harder the world fights back, the more the gospel can't be stopped. The gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is undefeatable. The gospel is unrestrainable. And it's proof through the expansion, through the resurrection, through the apostles' liberation, it's proof that God is with his people. And as God is with them, God is with you. God is with you at school. God is with you at your mom and talk group. God is with you at work. God is with you with your family. We've got a job to do. And we are not alone. But it might feel like you're alone. You might feel like you're afraid. I certainly do. When you feel like you're afraid, deposit your faith in the account of God's promises and it will yield a result of more boldness and more courage. Deposit your faith into a promise of scripture like Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. This is reassurance that he is with us. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. When you go and share the gospel, you don't go and stand on your own authority. You go stand representing divine authority. You are not alone. He continues to say, make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command. You go not in your own name, not with your own message. You go in the name of Jesus with the word of Jesus, which is our power in the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You go with his word and in his name. And the passage finishes saying, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You don't go by yourself. You go with his presence. You go with his name. You know, go with his word. You go with his authority. You are not alone. The gospel is unrestrainable, undefeatable, unstoppable. So go share it without fear. Church, your God is with us. Let's get our hands on this plow, sow the seed of the gospel, and see life flourish in our city and in our region, in our country, and in our world. Would you pray with me now? Father in heaven, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the confidence of your presence with us and your spirit in us and your uh, word equipped for us to, Lord God, help us, please help encourage us that we're not alone. God, I pray for us as we go out this week, Lord God, that we would be looking for open doors and that we would be ready to share with others what you've done in our lives that we'd be ready to share with others what uh, you can do for their life, Lord. That we'd be ready to share the truth that Jesus died for sinners and loves sinners and rose from the dead so that we could be freed of our sin and 
God, I pray that we would be seeing more people, not more people just filled into a church, but more people entering your kingdom for more glory for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.